Today's episode is brought to you by Peregrine Book Company, located at 219 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. This beautiful boutique bookstore is in need of your business and support like all small businesses through this challenging time. Please head over to peregrinebookcompany.com to browse and purchase books online. While you're on their website, sign up for their weekly newsletter so you can get updates on their reopening plans. If the book says on our shelves now, you can actually pick it up the next business day or you can call 928-445-9000 and a bookseller will help you. Remember, peregrinebookcompany.com or 928-445-9000. Welcome to The Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. Today's guest is an in-studio guest. Her name is Amy Lynn Barneyberg. And she is my best friend. So today is very special for me. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Amy Lynn Barneyberg is an independent producer based in Portland, Oregon. She is a Sundance Institute Creative Producing Summit Fellow, a Film Independent Producing Fellow, and an IFP Narrative Lab Fellow. She got her start working in Los Angeles under veteran writer-director Gary Marshall. Since then, Amy Lynn has served as a line producer and unit production manager for independent feature films and produced numerous other projects ranging from short films and music videos to multi-million dollar ad campaigns for global brands such as Nike, Adidas, Amazon, and even Google. She is a story-driven producer able to work within a variety of budgets and locations having shot all over the U.S., South America, Europe, and Asia. Recently, Amy Lynn was the associate producer on Andrew Hay's latest film, Lean on Peak, that was distributed by A24 and released in 2018. Since then, her own production company, High Pony, has released their first feature film where she was lead producer. That film is called Clementine. It made it all the way to Tribeca Film Festival and was picked up by Oscilloscope and distributed. I hope you enjoy today's episode. This one means a lot to me as she's a dear, dear friend. If you'd like to learn more about Amy Lynn Barneyberg, please see our show notes to find links to her website and her social media accounts. Today is a very, very special day for me because our guest on today's podcast is not only brilliant and beautiful and talented, she's also unabashedly my best friend for the longest amount of time of anyone I've ever known. (laughs) (laughs) True. Yeah. And she's also, we call each other sister because she's also an only child like Mm -hmm. myself. Mm -hmm. And um, neither one of us have a sister. So we were like, you'll do. (laughs) And we grew up living next door to each other. And we'll get to that for sure. So let's just dive right in. Uh, Today's guest, as you've heard previously, is my friend Amy Lynn. And Amy Lynn is brilliant. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners, Amy, start. Where does it start? Give me the beginning. Where did baby Amy Mm. get birthed? And where did she uh, evolve? (laughs) Baby Amy was birthed in Santa Monica, California. Mm. And yeah, born and raised in L.A. And... Yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> you're all, that's it. That's, that's all it. she wrote. That's where she was born. Um, you were born there, and your parents are Frank and Lynn. And w- at what point did they move to Burbank? Because that's where our lives 
converge. Yeah. So I was born in Santa Monica, but pretty much grew up in in the Valley, North Hollywood, Burbank. That's where I, my formative years. Mm-hmm. And I don't even remember. I mean, on, I know what grade it was. I don't know what year it was. Um, <laughs> we never have to discuss years. Yes. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But in junior high mm-hmm. was when I moved to Burbank with my parents. And I was 12. You were 10. Mm-hmm. And we moved into the house next door to you. And the day my life changed forever. And it really, yeah, it, the rest is history, really. Yeah. Um, we became class, our fast, close friends. Mm-hmm. We both rode horses. Mm-hmm. And you were a performer even back Already. then. Yes. <laughs> I'm gonna sing. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, at the time, I think I was in choir. Mm-hmm. I joined the choir in my school and I loved to dance. Yes. And so we just had so many things in common. Yes. So and natural. as a little side note, I will tell you that Amy is probably solely responsible for my entrepreneurship brain. <laughs> really? Because, well, I don't think I had the same like forward thinking that you did at that age. <laughs> like, <laughs> I think probably I was like, not, yeah. I was like, we have a pool. Yep. That's good. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, and I have a cat and a dog and I ride my horse and that's mm-hmm. my life. And you were like, you know, we could be making money. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And I was like, oh, tell me more. What do we do with this green stuff? We, yeah, we started our own company, Amcam mm-hmm. Services. Amcam. Uh, which is a combo of our names. Mm-hmm. And we had a, it was a dog walking service, mm-hmm. a car washing service. Oh, that was a good one. And our only customers were our parents. But they were loyal. Yeah, loyal customers. <laughs> they were like, please wash my car. <laughs> By all means, here's two bucks. And I wow. think we probably tried to talk some neighbors into it, but yeah, it was mainly our parents. Yeah, but we had a money box mm-hmm. and and Amy was our accountant. I turned the the, the pool shed into our office. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, yeah. No, I... Yeah, you were industrious from the get. Yes. Which is so telling Excuse me, as I I unfortunately burped because we just swallowed <laughs> down a bunch of delicious food from the Raven Cafe. Yes. So if you're in the Prescott area, please call and order online. Delicious. delicious. I had the chicken lemon pita. I highly recommend. Anyway, you were industrious from the get, and I definitely learned that from you. I think, um, or at least you know got that influence from my best friend, which made it seem super mm. cool to be that way too, um, and. You were always kind of creative in my rememberings of you in that time. And Amy was also this brilliant like dog trainer as well, which (laughs) really has nothing to do with who she's turned into in her career. But she's great with animals. Yeah, I think growing up in L.A., we, you know, we lived in the center of the entertainment industry. That's we true. were surrounded by and it. And influenced by it subconsciously yes. because like your high school, Brittany Murphy went to your high school. Yes. And at my at my school, the Olsen twins went there and yes. whoever else, like so we were, Robin Thicke and other people. We were going to school with child actors yeah. or children of celebrities. Our friends' parents worked in the industry. We, you know, it was just, it was. It was everywhere. It was everywhere. So I think we had we definitely had that in common and then yeah the the love of animals was just that it was like the two they were pretty 50-50 i would say right. it was very much the creative fun performing cuz i loved to perform too yeah. i think maybe it's a an only child thing we had to learn to put on shows to entertain get the ourselves attention. Or, uh, and yeah, to get the attention too <laughs> 
Um, because my mom, you know, loves telling the story about how I would make up routines, mm-hmm. dance routines, and I would come out. If my parents had people over, I would come out with my little tape player, make everyone sit and watch me perform. Totally. Yes. And then we had a little breakup, not by choice, but my well, family moved away. They moved away. And because you were the very minimal two years older, you were going into high school. Mm-hmm. Or when I was going into high school, you were already in high school. Right. And so we had moved when I went into high school down to the Orange Curtain. And you went on to go to Burroughs, which is legendary for its show choir. Yes. Um which at some point we'll get into that with Jen Engine, who is the choir director of Burroughs Choir. She's the music choreographer. She's no, she's the creative director. Oh, creative director. Um, Sorry, Jen. Yeah, um, <laughs> Brenna Jennings is the the music director. Got I believe it. the two of them together. They're do, the backbone they make of this magic legendary happen. Yes, choir award winning, award multi award winning yes. show choir. And yeah, that once I got into that group in high school, I think that was a huge changing point for me in my, in my life. Um, Cause before that I did, I was into cheerleading and I think I was already, yes, as we've talked about riding horses at that point, but. And you've twirled flags. I don't even know what that's called. Pep flags. Yes. I love how you looked at me and said pep flags as yeah. if <laughs> she's like, duh. Yeah. Pep flags. Yeah. And I was always impressed by that. Cause you twirl a flag really well. Yeah, it's super fun. Yeah, I'm not that coordinated. I don't even know. I don't. Do schools still have pep flags? I have no idea. Because they, there's tall. Do schools still go to school? True. <laughs> In the time of Good COVID, point. there are no pep flags. Um, but so, choir, getting into show choir, that that was like a pivotal. a pivotal change for me. And I'm still very close friends with a lot of people that I met during those years. Yeah. And then and i and i start from the beginning with everybody because what i think is so interesting is that there tends to be this through line of creativity that people find in their formative young years mm-hmm. that i think so unintentionally shapes things that they do later mm-hmm. intentionally and unintentionally like mm-hmm. i like you just said i came out of the womb like i want to be a star mm-hmm. you know and and i think your journey was different i mean you, when you went to college cuz you were someone who went to college well and I, yeah i Really loved the industry, quote unquote, the industry. I the other part I haven't talked about yet is I was a child actor for a couple of years oh, that's too. Right, <laughs> that's right. Weren't you the like stand-in for Maya Bialik on Beaches or something? Or were you up against her for Beaches? <laughs> Did I get that right? I got that way wrong. That huh? is the highly exaggerated version of that story. <laughs> so that's a no. No, no, I. I did audition oh. for that role. Yes, everybody's auditioned for something. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> um, I could just see you being like, you gotta give a little, mm-hmm. take a little. Mm-hmm. So amazing. So good. Um, but I, I I think, yeah, I really, I've always loved movies and television. Again, being an only child, I think it was our natural babysitter. Yeah. You know, a way of, of entertaining Ourselves, because both my parents were were working full time parents, mm-hmm. full time parents, but also working full time. Yeah, and so we I were at my house a lot. Yes, yes. Once they trusted me to be out of their sight, yeah, um, and that helped because normally I didn't have a rad 
chick who liked all the same things I did living right. in the store. So yeah. <laughs> it was great. Um, but I think when high school came and it came to the the time to figure out like what do I want to do? What do I want to be when I grow up? Yeah. Uh, Just such a daunting question for a 15, 16, 18 year old. It's like nobody knows what they want to be when they grow up. Right. Well, I guess I did. But that's I'm not saying that like to be in jest. It's just I think most people I think some people come out of the womb being like, this is my path. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm wired to do. This is what I have to do. And I think other people find it in the journey. Right. Yeah, because I remember daydreaming about, oh, I could do this and I could do that. But, you know, when it comes to be your sophomore, junior year, you really have to start, like, actively thinking about that. At that time, did you want to go to college? Was that, like, a thing for you? You were like, I'm doing this. Well, that's just what you did. Yeah. You know, I think neither one of my parents graduated from college. Right. And so I think it was something that they really instilled in me that... You should go. You should go. you should want to go. Because that was the that was seen as the way to find success success and we're going to get into that word because i that's a pivotal word in my life and many other people's right i i couldn't agree with you more my family i think was very clear on who i was but they were like you're still going to college Mm -hmm. like you have to go to college and i was just like you i was like i want to go to college I don't know oh, what I'm going to do there, right. but I'm, I want to go. Well, plus the idea of, you know, getting away from home yeah, and going someplace and still new. being semi taken care of, but yes. freedom. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but you have to be strategic about what schools you're going to apply to, depending on what you want to do. Right. So what so, did you apply for? I, I, well, the biggest thing was like, do I want to go into entertainment? It's something that I love, but. In a weird way, I felt like that would be too cliched for me to go into the entertainment industry. Interesting, because you want you want to know. I, I said to Amy before we went on air too. I was like, I'm so intrigued to know if I'll learn something from knowing you our whole lives. Basically, mm-hmm. I'm like, I wonder if I'm going to learn stuff about you. And I don't think I've ever actually heard that detail come out of your mouth. And yeah. what's funny about that is that when I was applying to college, I was dead set on going anywhere but Los Angeles. Exactly. Because I was like, I'm not going to be the girl from Los Angeles yep. that goes to USC or right. UCLA yep. mm-hmm. and does the thing in LA mm-hmm. that everybody else says they're going to do mm-hmm. and be a statistic number person. Like right. I was like, you're going to take me to New York, San Francisco, anywhere but right. LA. Yeah. So I was like, I don't want to be cliche and do that. So and my passion and love of animals had really grown over those years, especially my high school years. And so that I decided I want to be a veterinarian. That's what I'm going to do. Which you would have been really good at, actually. I was really good at science and math in high school. Yeah. But that's like easy science and math when you go. <laughs> when, when I found out. Okay, so get this. So I, I got in. I applied to one school. Mm-hmm. And one school only, which my parents were not happy about. Yeah. But thankfully, I got in. I got into a state school called uh, Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, mm-hmm. which is an amazing undergrad college for people that want to go on to veterinary school. Yeah. And also, the city of Slow has the best tri-tip sandwiches ever All at right. Firestone, just so you know. Cool. Props to them. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I got in which was amazing. And it was just three hours north of LA. So it was far enough away that I, my parents couldn't just stop by whenever they wanted, but still close enough to come home on the weekends. It was perfect. And being 
raised in such a large city like Los Angeles to go to a small town like that was just totally new for me. And it was it was wonderful. I was going to say, was it a good it was good new? It was great new, but bad when it came to my grades and going to classes. <laughs> um, but then I also realized like, oh, this is like this is a whole nother level of science and math, getting back to what I was saying. Um, And then I found out that it takes longer to become a veterinarian than it does to become just a regular doctor. Yeah. Because, you know, human doctors, you're learning about one species. Right. Just one. And that's hard enough. Veterinary, you are learning about several species. Which is why a lot of people pick a practice too, right? After they've already learned about all these species, they're like, I'll stick to dogs or horses or small animal. But to go to and get all the way through veterinary school, it just, it was a lot. And I kind of quickly learned that I, I wasn't made out for academics in that way. Yeah. Um, I was always really good in school. I was an honor student during high school and stuff, but that was just kind of like another level that I, at this point in my life was not prepared for and didn't have enough, uh, drive or like, the fortitude, the gumption, like to yeah, just or just the passion of it. <laughs> no, I I had passion for it, but I wasn't disciplined enough mm. to stick with it. So after four years at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, I got kicked out because of bad <laughs> grades. <laughs> Which knowing you is so funny to me. Like, I think we can both genuinely laugh out loud at that because Amy's good at everything she does. So, you know, to have somebody who has been an honor student through high school, diligent, on time, focused, like you're the most prepared person I know in the room, probably 99% of the time. Yes, I am. And to know all of those traits about you and be like, well, she kind of got asked to leave. Yeah. (laughs) Or just don't return. Those were... Well, and I think and there was of, more going on. Wasn't your mom going through some health stuff? Yeah, mom and- was going through some health stuff, and also too, unfortunately, that school is was so overcrowded and packed. And because I tried to change, I knew I was like, okay, going down this path is not. I'm. This isn't right for me. And I tried to change my major. I tried to go into a different department, but it it became impossible. Mm-hmm. And. Like I needed a certain GPA, like a 5.0, which is like, how do you even get that? You know, it was just, it was so hard. And, and unfortunately the system was not set up to, um, they wanted you to stay in your lane. Like if you're coming in for this, stay for that. It, it, unfortunately, you know, I don't not, I don't want to speak ill will of the school, but it, it was almost like they yeah they just wanted me to just like stay there and do do that thing and it didn't seem like they were really that excited to help me find what was gonna work for me for you right and so that's when I kind of was just like well screw you guys I'm out of here I'm not coming to class anymore and then they're like well if you're not coming to class then you need to get out of here (laughs) (laughs) well and that's the interesting thing is that I I love this discussion right now happening and and kind of the debate between vocational schools and higher learning. Mm -hmm. And I think there's so much room. This is just my personal opinion. So much room to encourage kids to find vocations 
that suit what they're great at mm -hmm. versus everyone should go to college. Right. Not a, in my opinion, not everyone's designed to go to college. I mm -hmm. went to college for a theater degree. Like, I mean, mm -hmm. fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, but even going in, I don't know that I ever thought like, oh, with my theater degree, I can go get a job at Amazon. Amazon didn't exist, I don't think, or it was very new. But it's just, you know, I, like my brain never went to corporate world or to job world. It's like anybody who had that foresight of like, I want to be a teacher, lawyer, doctor, blah, blah, blah. Like they had a very clear stepping stone path. Mm -hmm. And in the arts, that's something that's very interesting because I learned a lot. I mean, I, I got to put up a lot of shows and do all those kinds of things, mm -hmm. but it was never a guaranteed anything. Mm -mm. But it, So you're spending a lot of money on not having anything concrete. Right. You know, so I think it's a really interesting dialogue when I talk to creative people and people who've made a career out of the arts. Mm -hmm. And so often I find that, um, you know, some of them have gone to college and, and gotten a business degree or this or that. But more often than not, with creative people, I keep finding that more of their quote unquote successes have come from being in the field of the creative environment putting themselves out there, showing up, building relationships, taking one experience and pivoting that layer onto a new layer because this thing was able to open the door to the next thing. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we talked about this right before we went on air. Like my parents probably should have just paid for me to go be, I don't know, an esthetician or a hairstylist or a plumber and then, you know, paid for my singing and acting classes, mm -hmm. you know, but I would have had a career to live on mm -hmm. while I was trying to do these things. Right. So now you leave college. So you I come home. I come back home with my your, tail between my legs. I was going to say, your um, parents like, really? Oof, yeah. No, it was... That was that was that was a dark time, yeah. I would say. Um and and for me too, because I was like, okay, this thing that I thought I had figured out and this plan for my life that I thought I had figured out figured out is totally failed. I'm a failure. You know, it was just it was really depressing. Mm -hmm. Just absolutely so depressing. Well, I'm back in LA. All of my friends work in the industry. <laughs> convenient and yeah i got a i got a job working uh a cubicle job for a large studio assisting two entertainment lawyers so was that wb mm, that no. was no it's called saban entertainment at oh. the time which then became fox family oh um power rangers so right. i was filing a lot of power power rangers, power ranger yes. episode copyright and trademark applications that's intense Eight hours, five Day. days a week of trademark applications. Snooze fest. <laughs> so um, you're not saying you were like living the high life. <laughs> no, no. It was, um, I, I lasted there about a year. But being back home and being back in, in and around it, I was, you know, of course, caught that bug again. I was just like, okay, if I'm going to be here and I work in this field, I want to be in production. Mm -hmm. Um, and by production, meaning like I want to be on set. I want to be on this or at the stages where film and TV is being filmed and and produced. And because I had gotten a little taste of that younger when I was a child actor. And even at that time when I was, you know, 13, 14 or probably like 12, 13 and I was a child actor, even during breaks, I was going over and talking to the crew members, asking right. them, what do you do? What do you do? How does that work? What is this? And right. it was just so interesting to me, the whole process of a group of people 
who all are very specialized and talented in their specific areas, everyone comes together for this main goal and purpose of creating this show or a mm-hmm. film. And it is amazing to watch. Mm-hmm. And I just, I loved it. And so after a year of working uh, in a cubicle, I was like, you know, I really want to try to get into production. And I just started telling everybody that. And eventually the right person, I told the right person who heard about the right job opening opportunity. And there was a director uh, who had a production company in like right on the Burbank Toluca Lake mm-hmm. uh, edge. So it was very close to where I was living. Cause I, oh, that was the other thing about that Saban entertainment job. It was like with traffic, it was like an hour and a half one way commute each Which day. Which PS was probably only what, three miles? Yeah. <laughs> And so three miles in traffic. So again, I, I felt like I won the lottery to like get this potential opportunity assisting this director because the office is right down the street from my house. And, you know, it was perfect. And I thankfully got the job. And, and who was that director? Uh, that director was Mr. Gary Marshall, mm, RIP. I miss him. I miss him too. Um, Gary Just Marshall. For, I was going to say for our audience, I, tell it, give us some of the Yeah, I think a lot yeah. of people know of, or have heard of Gary through his uh, sister, who is Penny Marshall, mm-hmm. also RIP. Um, Penny Marshall, which some people remember her as Laverne mm-hmm. from Laverne and Shirley. She went on to be a director in her own right, directing A League of Their Own. Great film. Big. Great film. Um, just, yeah, some of them. Most of, so a lot of people know of Penny Marshall. Gary is her brother. And Gary, he created and started his career in television and created, you know, one of a lot of the main iconic. sitcoms, iconic Happy sitcoms, days. Happy Days, Laverne and, and Shirley. Shirley, Mork and Mindy, mm-hmm. The Odd Couple, um, and then little films like Pretty, Pretty Woman, Woman. <laughs> Beaches, yeah, Overboard, um, and then the. Did years... you ever tell Gary like I've come full circle? I auditioned for Beaches. Oh yeah, we totally had that conversation. <laughs> um, you totally didn't pick me, but we. And then the years that I worked for him was during. Uh, the years of Princess Diaries. Right. So, And at this point, I'm just going to interject because this is fun. Amy and I were living together at this point. Yes. We had reconnected. We reunited. Reunited and it feels so good. I knew she'd jump in. Um, Amy still has a great voice, but she doesn't sing enough, in my opinion. Yeah, I don't. Um, yeah, we both went away to college. Both yeah. came back to LA. You were you now changed colleges and were at CSUN. Yeah, I left San finishing. Francisco and finished at CSUN. Yes, yeah, so we found out. I think like I ran into your mom or something at some point and heard that you were back. And so yeah. then I think I just tried calling you on yeah. the chance that you still had the same number or something or I got your number somehow. Probably got my number from my mom or something. I don't know. I've had the same number my whole life pretty much. And then... And I was looking for a new roommate at the, or I needed to move places. You were living with your parents. And I was like, that's not going to (laughs) work. So yeah, so we moved in together and it was awesome. Like we just picked up right where we left off. Totally. And then you got this great job with Gary Marshall, which Mm -hmm. was super fun Mm -hmm. because we got to go to all these like screenings. We got to go to the Mm Q&As and we got to go to all, Amy like was 100% responsible for my cool factor. And he owned a theater, the Falcon Theater, Falcon which theater. has now been renamed the Gary Marshall Theater. Mm-hmm. Um, and Candace actually got to help out and assisted Gary during 
Yeah, and he also gave me the job of being Lindsay Lohan's voice yes, double. Yes, that's right. Movie. You didn't know, but if anybody saw Georgia Rule, it's actually my voice. <laughs> she was... I can say this because it's just factual. At the time, she was in rehab. So <laughs> he didn't have anybody for ADR. And he's like, you have a deep, raspy voice. Come on in. Come on in. And I channeled my inner Lindsay Lohan. Yeah. I still get residual checks for that. That's great. He's such a good man. He, and he yeah. always ate tuna with avocado instead of mayonnaise. Because I had to make his tuna sandwiches. Mm-hmm. And banana. And banana. Mm-hmm. No, Gary was amazing. And he... Oh, you're right. He, it was he, banana. Yeah. I'm sorry, not avocado. He kicked off... He gave opportunities to so many people. And Everybody. I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today without him because I ended up working for, for him for four years. So I say I went to the film school of Gary Marshall. Yeah. The Gary and Marshall what a film great school. one. It was. I mean, I just, we had such a great time. We laughed every single day. And he did it right, in my opinion. Yes. Like he said positivity. He never made anybody feel less than Nope what they were worth feeling. And even when he wasn't thrilled with you, he found a way to humorously tell you like you fucked up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> didn't you get him lost one time? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Amy was responsible because he didn't like to drive. Right. So he'd have other people drive him. Yes. He he was a very nervous driver. And so I would drive him to different meetings or different things. But he also hated getting lost. <laughs> And I unfortunately got us lost on the way to some like speaking engagement or something. And he was not happy with me um, and got upset about, very upset about it. But then the next day he felt really bad that he got upset and he gave me like a, I'm sorry, I yelled at you card. It was so cute. (laughs) (laughs) And I remember that because you came home and you're like, I may not have a job tomorrow. Yeah. But I mean. And you were like, never mind, he loves me. Yeah. (laughs) I think I still have that card, actually. That's amazing. Um, But no, he was, he gave so many people opportunities. I mean, he, he provided careers for Henry Winkler, the Fonz, Mm -hmm. to Julia Roberts and Pretty Woman, to uh, Robin Williams. And Hathaway. And and Hathaway. Yeah. I mean, it's just, the list goes on and on. And he, he was a true, a true dream. But I... I knew that I wanted to do more and and he was very supportive of like, you know, it's time to to kick the baby bird out of the nest. And um, when I told him that I, I was thinking of moving and, you know, maybe going more into independent film, he was very supportive, wrote me letters of recommendation. I mean, whatever I needed. He just and we we did. We stayed in touch uh, all the way till his passing. He would send me a birthday card and a Christmas card every year. That is how it's done, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. That sets you apart. Yeah. Stuff like that. Caring, actually. Yes. He was a very, to care. very loyal, very, very caring. And um, family and friends were the most important thing to him mm-hmm. always. And he had this, he had this little plaque on his desk or in his office somewhere that said, um, this is this is film business. We're not curing cancer. Like, I forget exactly what it was, but it was something like, um, you know, we're not curing cancer. Yeah, like this get is, off your high horse. Yeah, like you know, we're not changing the world with this. Like, let's have fun, be nice. And he he was like the epitome of that that phrase: work hard and be nice. Yeah. So um, I owe a lot to him, and he was my my first teacher and mentor, and. From there, I went on to work a couple other places in in Los Angeles, only for like another year, year and a half, and then 
wanted to leave leave LA. LA. Really quickly, before we bounce onto what happened when you leave LA, because mm-hmm. that's also super interesting to me, um, but I think to everyone listening, when you did leave Gary's to that, the next job, didn't weren't you a part of a Broadway or off-Broadway show? Yeah, it was a production company that had, yeah, they did both. They were in development in feature films, and then they also had a theater division in an office in New York. And so when I was working there, the company doesn't exist anymore, I don't think. Um, it was called East of Doheny. And uh, when I was working there for about a year, it, we were involved. We were the basically the producers that took Great Gardens, the musical, from off-Broadway to Broadway. So I got to see that whole experience of... Which is amazing. And the reason why I yes. wanted to touch on that a little bit is that, I, you know, there's no straight lines in mm. a career development. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, people can have this idea of like, oh, I'm going to go do this. But how you get to whatever that is, is so interesting to me because that was something that obviously between your choir and between film with gear, you had all the, you had acquired all this information in the arts, but then you were kind of thrown out of your comfort zone again. Mm-hmm. And you were spending part of the year in New York, part of the year in LA, you were going back and forth. Yes. And like you know, every three weeks we were going back and staying for like a week or two and yeah. then be back again. And and I just remember you also had a fabulous haircut at the time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, that was amazing. It yeah. was definitely um, something that, yeah, most people I don't at think would point, get a chance to. At any point, did you lose sight of possibly film production? Were you thinking like, oh, theater is interesting? Oh, or- absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was... I got the New York bug. I was, I wanted to move there. It was, I mean, cause we, the other thing, which I was very lucky with in the company that I worked for, the owner of the company, she was very passionate about theater. And so we would work all day and then we would go to a show at night. And I mean, I saw so much live theater and that is the live theater capital of the world like yeah. it just is amazing yeah. and I I definitely I got the bug but then when I started doing research and and looking at the cost of what it would be <laughs> to actually live there I was like oh yeah and no, I'm not in a position to do that unfortunately because right. at also at that point I I'm now in my like later 20s mm-hmm. at this point and I didn't want to uproot my life to then go live in the size of a closet right. with four other people. <laughs> You're like I'm an adult now. Like, yeah, I, like I, I had certain levels, comfort levels that I wanted to continue to maintain. So after dreaming about doing that for about six months, I said, no, let me see what else is out there. What other avenues are there? The other interesting fun fact about Amy that I love and that we've bonded over many times over the years is that she has an infatuate, an unquenching, is that a word? Sure. Unquenching? Sure. I believe you. Okay, thanks. Just say it with confidence. She has this un it's unrelenting. Un I don't know. I, don't ask me. I don't know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> My point is she you can't like she is a music <laughs> snob. And also <laughs> she's a complete music snob, but she also has this unrelenting ability to like seek out, find, hear, experience music. Like you I feel like maybe that's waned a little bit in your as you've progressed into your film career because you've been so consumed with that. But when we were in our 20s, like Amy found bands first. She knew of 
And the reason I'm bringing this up is because wasn't it a road trip with an independent artist that changed mm -hmm. the direction of your life, basically? Yes. And so Amy in her hunt, and also as a side note, like we saw Coldplay five times and went on long road trips to chase them around the country. <laughs> but then they got too cool and then she had to drop them. That's right. <laughs> She's like, they're sellouts now. But um, before they were sellouts, um, no, I you've still, been a huge music and fan. I, I still am. I'm currently producing the soundtrack of my film which we haven't actually we haven't, talked about no, we yet. haven't talked about that so well let's let's skip ahead um, but the part of i want to get to is your life-changing experience and again no straight lines yeah out of your love of music what happened i moved to portland yeah and uh it was through actually through my connection working for gary i made friends with one of the assistant editors on one of uh, we actually i think we met and worked on two films together. I can't remember. But she decided she wanted to get out of film business and give it a shot at being Music. a song singer-songwriter. Right. And she was going on tour. and Which I give her so much credit because she was like, I'm just going to pack up my car. Yep. I'm going to just go across the country with my guitar. Stephanie Casey. And yes. I will just play venues until I figure it out. Yes. And she was playing under the moniker Fall of Snow. And... And she was, yeah, she was just such a badass. And she was fearless. Yeah, she was so good. And she was a huge inspiration to me, too, to just, like, go after your dreams. Just do it. Like, what's stopping you? Huh. And so when she said, I'm going on this tour around the country for three three weeks? Four weeks. No, probably five weeks. I was going to say, had, I think it was over a month. Yeah, maybe, maybe five, that's six just weeks. my recollection. Yeah. Um, and... You were like, yeah, okay, me too. <laughs> and she, yeah, she was like, hey, you know, do you want to come with me? And I was just like, this is an opportunity that doesn't come around very often. I've always, I love traveling. I want to see more of this country. And so I just said, yeah, let's do it. And then after the end of that trip, I then had decided I'm moving to Portland, which is where she had been or she had moved to from Los Angeles as well. And, and yeah, I moved to Portland. I was just going to go for a year. I was like, you know, LA will always be here, but I had done some research and knew that there was some filming that was happening there in Portland. And I just wanted to give it a shot and just get out of LA for a little bit. And you sold your car. No, you were riding a bicycle when you got there. No, I was riding a bicycle because everybody was riding a bicycle and I wanted to be cool. <laughs> time is because you sold your car no no it's because you i was like she totally like made the she's like i'm gonna sell my car i'm gonna put money in savings and i'll just ride a bike no no sorry well no. okay that's <laughs> never mind <laughs> i did end up having a year and a half of no car but that oh, so was my it. brain just put those two things yes. in and i explained it to myself yes in a way that should have made sense yes okay you made up your version yeah yes um but i was only gonna go for a year and I've now lived there 13 years. Yeah. And in doing that, another interesting tidbit is that, and we talk about this all the time, you left like the entertainment capital of the world in a sense mm -hmm. and found more work. Yes. And more opportunity and more like startup and eagerness and more like bring I, your knowledge from LA here. And well, because there, there are, especially in the independent film industry and world there it can happen anywhere it doesn't have to help it happen in los angeles or right. new york and something that started happening uh several years ago was the different states started creating 
incentive programs for productions to be happening within those states. And so like Albuquerque, New Mexico is... On the ballot in Arizona this year, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, hint, hint, should you want to relocate again. (laughs) So there, you know, Oregon had at the time and has continued to grow in the years since this wonderful film incentive that would bring uh, productions to town. So when I moved to Portland, I, yeah, I got jobs working on these film productions that were coming into town. And because I'd had that experience coming from L.A., I I was now a bigger fish in a smaller pond and got work right away. But I had to start back down at the bottom of the, of the totem pole. You know, I was a PA, I was a set PA. I hustled and I worked my butt off. And, but again, because I'd had that past previous knowledge, I was able to climb myself back up that ladder pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember that too. Again, it's always funny when I hear your story and then I think of the memories of how our timeline is friends, you mm-hmm. know, and I just remember you being like, yeah, I'm a PA. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I live in Portland. I love my city. I ride a bike, but I am also definitely yes. a PA right now. Yeah. So, and, I, and I was like, it won't last forever. And yeah. it totally didn't. Today's episode is brought to you by the Natural History Institute, located at 126 North Marina Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. The Natural History Institute is a nonprofit which seeks to cultivate love and understanding of the natural world. They have programs for naturalists of all stripes, newcomer, novice, and veteran. All are welcome who are looking to deepen their relationship with the natural world. Please check out their website at naturalhistoryinstitute.org or head to their Natural History YouTube channel. And it was it was a great way to get to know that the local crew scene there and the community and, of that scene, yeah. And for them to see that I, you know, I had the goods and and earned their trust and and so it was it was a great experience and I I wouldn't have done it any other way. I think you do, especially in, in the film industry, it's very much, at least in my way of coming up, it was, yeah, you have to like go up through the ranks. Did you ever come against uh, or go up against the kids that are like, oh, well, I graduated from Purdue mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm my father's uncle, somebody, and now I'm a, you know, first level producer, even though I've never been on a shoot in my life. Like, did you come up against that where you were like, I've done the the footwork, I know the job, but you're the guy with the the big nepotism degree or whatever. LA is full of that. And I think that that was a major catalyst and reason for me leaving LA and trying to find where filmmaking and art making art was for the purpose of making art and it wasn't about I'm cool I'm getting the accolades I'm doing all this stuff um because I'm cool or I have a rich family and it's just I'm in LA you know it just it was different I and I wanted that true sense of filmmaking art making community and so I I was I was looking for my people like I wanted to find other like-minded people where it was about the quality of the stories that we were telling not about the bottom line and how much movie tickets we were going to sell because we had Brad Pitt in our film like that if the script and the story that you're trying to say isn't good like I just I 
my personal feelings and my artistic soul, I felt like was starting to die in LA. <laughs> and so that was a big reason for me to leave. And I, I think I did. I, I found I found my people in Portland and it's been a wonderful experience. Um, the timing of it was a little bad because when I did move to Portland, it was right before the economic crash, 2008. Oh, and right. so I, you know, it was all the production went away and I did not know what I was going to do, but the only production that was still happening in town were commercials. Right. So then I had a whole nother direction and, and pivot. another pivot and change and started working in commercials, which there's actually money in <laughs> and <laughs> like Nike mm-hmm, and, Adidas, and Adidas, two of the big headquarters that are in Portland. And so that became a way to, again, kind of cut cut my teeth at learning these different skills because I really wanted to be a producer. I think even when I was working for Gary, I, you know, I could have gone in any direction. Do I want to be a writer? Do I want to be a director? Do I want to go into the art department? For Do the I longest wanna... time, I actually thought you'd get into mu- music supervision. That was a, yeah. yes, that was something that I... And to this day, if I ever had a TV show, I'd just be like, stop what you're doing. You're going to be the, you know, and also you're going to put my songs in. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Because you got to pull clout somewhere. But um, I did. That was something that was I was definitely passionate about because I think the the confluence between film and music together is just that is the most magical thing that actually makes a scene feel like something. The, yeah. the score and the music in a mm-hmm. film will make or break your film. Mm-hmm. And and I, I love that those two loves of mine come together in that way. So you're right. I That was a goal. But then I realized how hard that industry is, too. <laughs> and I was like, I don't want to do that. And so, um, so producing just has always been my thing. And I really started to hone my skills as a producer working on commercials because it's a smaller timeline. You're only doing like one, two, three day shoots where mm. on a film, your shoots months, are third, months, yeah, 30 months. days, 45 days. Like, yeah, you're going for days and weeks at an end on, on and on and on. So commercials are, you know, a quick turnover, turn and burn, which for me, I really enjoyed at the time because I felt like I was really learning because each shoot, you're learning something new. Each shoot has its own set of problem solving that you have to do and and creative problem solving. And, and so I did that for about five, six years. I have to interject this on behalf of my husband and child. Mm-hmm. Clarify for me, because we've learned already that my memory is a little askew. Mm-hmm. But oh, didn't you do a commercial with Kobe Bryant? I did. And wasn't R. he P. wonderful? He was very nice. Yes, he was a gentleman. He was very good looking. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I um, No, he was, he was super nice and came on. Yeah, I did a I did a. <laughs> What's crazy is, I don't know if... And yet I, you're still a traitor. I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> She's talking Amy about the fact that I... was born and raised in Los Angeles, California. And for my whole existence of being her best friend, she was a diehard Lakers fan. Mm-hmm. Derek Fisher was her player. Yep. Kobe was a player. You love Shaq. Kobe. Shaq. I was always Team Shaq. 
You were? Yes. See, I knew I'd learn things about you. Interesting. Hmm. Anyway, um, I love Shaq too. I have nothing against Shaq. Um, he's hilarious. And then Amy's like, I'm moving to Portland now. And literally, y'all gave the finger to the Lakers. Gave the finger. Mm -hmm. I moved to Arizona and I proudly still wear my Laker gear. Well, that's a whole nother podcast <laughs> that we can get into. It's okay, I just had to bring it up because mm -hmm. when my husband listens to this and, it, and if he goes, you didn't even mention. Yes, no, I did. I, I felt very lucky to have met Kobe and um, and he was in his years of um, being more of a philanthropy. Yes. I couldn't that. say that the other day. Yeah. Either. It's a hard word. And um, like, I think he had retired already when I worked with him on that shoot. But yeah, that budget was nothing that I've ever seen on a film. Like, it's crazy. Like commercial budgets yeah. versus independent film budgets. It's very sad. But anyways, <laughs> again, that's a whole nother podcast. Okay, it's fine. I just do. had to put that in there. Um, what so you're, you're in commercial land right now. My, in commercial land. And you're cutting land. your teeth as a producer. Yeah. And I, so now I'm line producing and creative producing commercials for about five, six years. But I mean, there's only so many ways you can shoot a shoe or someone running in shoes. <laughs> it gets a little old after a while. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Um, and I just, I really miss the the long form, the, the narrative. The art of storytelling. The art of storytelling. I, yeah. I, I really, really missed it. And, um, Thankfully, I, while I was producing a commercial for Google, I was working with this uh, writer director by the name of Laura Gallagher mm -hmm. that we had about a week and a half to prep a two week shoot that was shooting in four different countries across Asia and where we did all of our own casting, we did all of our own scout, everything. And yeah, I came onto this job again with like a week and a half of prep. And it was, I mean, I said, yes yeah, cause I love to travel and I'm always down for yeah. a challenge and an adventure. And I was very excited to work with a female director and I was just kind of like, okay, well this is going to go one of two ways. We'll either end up hating each other or we'll end up loving each other. And thankfully it was the latter. We got along great. We, we spoke the same language. We just we just got each other really, really well. And it was just a natural thing. Like we felt like we'd been working together forever and it had just been a couple of weeks. May I ask you, and I don't want you to lose your train of thought because I've derailed you enough today, but at that time, is it weird to see female directors? Is oh, it weird yes. to see, like where are we at socially with that? You know, where are we at a place where are, it's not the norm yet, even still, to have oh, no. as many females on a set as males. Correct. correct. Yes. The pay scale is not the same. Correct. So when you met a like-minded, brilliant director type person that you bonded with, connected with, worked well with, did you both have this kind of innate sense of us against the world? Or were you out to change things? Did, I mean, was there any deeper consciousness, I guess, knowing your position in an industry as a minority as a female, as somebody underpaid compared to your counterparts? Yeah, I mean, it felt like I had found like a true peer. You know, we 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 both have our strengths, but we that are you know coming from different sides. She's the writer and the director and the creative, and I'm the producer. Um, 
but we both have this shared background and this shared like struggles as far as being overlooked all the time, unfortunately, just because we're women. Uh, Our, our, the entertainment industry in general, especially the film industry, unfortunately is very male dominated. And the last few years, we've finally started to see some change in that, but it, yeah, I think we, we quickly bonded over that fact for sure. And, and also on that job, we, I just, I learned that she had just graduated from Columbia University in New York where she got her MFA in directing. And so she did the full film school route. She was like, this is my path. She went to film school and got her undergrad at Penn State and then went and got her master's at Columbia. And, and I just was so in awe and I was just like, oh my gosh, she's wonderful. And, and she was writing a script at the time and, and I was like, well, I've been wanting to get back into movies. And if she's this great to work with, like, let me see what her script's about. And I read the script and I loved it. And it was just, I felt lucky. Like all of a sudden, like, oh, this. This, this is what this looks like. My people, yeah. like this is this feeling like this. Oh, I've I finally found it. And, and so she had been applying to all these different filmmaker grants programs um, like filmmaker lab programs and she had gotten into one through this organization in New York called IFP which is independent film program and she had gotten in with the script and it was like you go to New York for a week and you get to meet with all of these top industry people and pitch your film and to try and find other producing partners or financing or whatever so she asked if I would be willing to go with her and and actually try to make a go at this. And I was terrified because I felt like I didn't go to film school. I don't really have the like quote unquote uh like the gravitas. Like I'm not showing up with yeah. all the all the credentials at the, yes. the butt of yeah. like I deserve to be here. Look at yeah. everything I have. Yeah, I you think I I'd never given myself agency enough or or like confidence enough in myself to be like yeah I can do this even though I had been working in the industry for a very long time at this point mm-hmm. and I do have the experience and I do have the the the, the working street the know without and <laughs> and and if I didn't know it I was willing to to do the work to figure it out and so I was scared to death but I said yes and I'm so glad I did because we finally did shoot our first film uh Film called Clementine that Lara. I would wrote. like you to say that. Say that again. We've shot our first film, our first feature film, uh, called Clementine, mm-hmm. and uh, written and directed by Lara Gallagher. And it was my first time. Even though I've worked on several films, this is my first time as the lead producer on your own film. On our own film, yes. And production company. Uh, we started a company, a company together called High Pony Pictures. Can you just tell the story really quickly, or may I? I don't know. You can. I'll prob- tell because okay. I don't know what your version of the story is going to be. <laughs> so also, <laughs> we were going to a show um, to see a band that uh, she had directed a music video for, and the band who was based in in Boston was coming through town and playing at a venue in Portland called Mississippi Studios, where Canis Divine has performed. Yes, I have. Um, but we were at a show and. We were watching this rad, like all girl band, rock band playing, and the bass player had a very 
long, long hair and had a really high ponytail on with her head down and she's playing the bass and she was just, you know, bobbing her head back and forth. And I was mesmerized at this high ponytail, just waving back and forth while she's playing the bass. And I remember turning to Lara and I was like, cause at the time we were trying to figure out a name for our, our company. That's half the battle. Let me tell you. Yes. <laughs> and I remember turning to her and I was like, oh, high pony pictures. And she was like, yes, let's do it. So that is where High Pony comes from. But you... I pick up later in the story, right about now. Yeah. I was visiting you in Mm -hmm. Portland and we were all out to dinner. Mm -hmm. And Lara looks at me and she is just like Amy, stunningly beautiful and so sincere and genuine. And when she looks at you to talk to you, you know she's looking at you to talk to you. Like there's no looking over the shoulder at the room, see who, like, if she's engaging, she's engaging. And I love that about her. And um, she looked at me. She's like, what do you picture? Yeah, because we were thinking of, like, I think we we're trying to figure out a logos, logo or something. Logos. Yeah. I think that's exactly. like. Yeah. And so she's like, what do you picture when you hear High Pony, you know? And being that we're horse girls, like, mm-hmm. my, I immediately was like, well, I I think, you know, when a horse is high, quote unquote, when a horse is high, that means they have tons of energy. Mm -hmm. So I immediately pictured this like, um, what do they call it? Like, uh, not a cartoon, but what do they call it when it's a illustrated opening? Isn't there a name for that? An animated. An animated, is that what it is? Just an animated logo? Yeah, yeah. So I immediately was like, oh, well, of course, it's going to be like a girl with like either, you know, pigtails or hair and like galloping, like just running at top speed, high energy, like <laughs> running across your screen. But it's clearly a woman just like, yeah, like, you know. And she's like, oh, <laughs> so you don't picture like a girl with a scrunchie, like waving her <laughs> tail around. And I was like, oh, no, no, <laughs> but not <laughs> at all. She was like, and it was so cute because people that are listening can't see it or her. But she totally like had an elbow on the table and her chin on her hand mm-hmm. and her other arm like on the table. And she was like, so you don't see? And she's like whipping her head around. Like she's like with like a big scrunchie. And I'm like, are we doing scrunchies again? Like, oh yeah, she and, loves a scrunchie. Yeah, it was amazing. And I just remember telling Amy, I was like, I love her flipping creative brain because yeah. I was very literal. I did not go there at all. But I also had not seen a bass player with a high ponytail, True. like mesmerizing you all. But I was like, I did not know that's what high pony meant. Yes. I, have, I of course, went down the other road of like smoking a dube and like just, you know, <laughs> whatever. Getting high pony. Yeah. So, so yeah, yeah, she's amazing. But um, yeah, so we just, we did uh, our our first feature film came out. Our world premiere was at the Tribeca Film Festival. Yes. Yeah, so this is why I made you repeat yourself your first film. Yes. So part of my best friend's genius is that whenever she sets her mind to anything and combined with another brilliant artist like Laura, it, there is no like little, you don't do anything halfway. No. And literally it was like, oh, we just finished our first feature film and oh, we're going to Tribeca. <laughs> Cause you know, everybody does that. Well, we, I mean, we were just so thankful and, and it, it was such a combination of a lot of things. It was a lot of hard work. I'm not, it, it's not like, that it's just happens. Yeah, yeah, it's not easy. It is a lot of hard work. And we were we're both freelancers at the time. And, you know, I'm I'm doing I'm still producing commercials, working yeah. very long days. And so nights and weekends became the time where we were developing Clementine and, you know, trying to find money for that. We did a crowdfunding campaign because as again, as unproven female filmmaking team. 
no one wanted to give us money. No one's like, here's some no. best in your film. Yeah. No one was willing to take to take the risk. And so again, we were so determined. We're like, okay, well, we'll figure out a way to do it on our own if we have to. And so we did a a crowdfunding campaign with uh through a, a really amazing uh site called Seed and Spark, which is a crowdsourcing, crowdfunding platform, i.e. like Kickstarter, Indiegogo, but this one is specifically for artists. So you can, like someone who is developing an app for this or whatever can't do a campaign. Right. This is just for film or TV, I think, too. So I highly recommend it. Check it out. Um, and so we had a very successful campaign on there. We raised $45,000. And, but I mean, even just doing that was like a full-time job in itself. And then we worked closely with the film office in Oregon on um, how to best utilize those programs to be able to get that soft money back from that. Cause you, depending on the amount of money that you spend in the state, you get a certain percentage percentage of it back. And so, and we applied to every single grant program and we just, I mean, literally- hustled and scrapped everything together and found we did find some awesome partners to come in and give us a little bit of equity to get us you know across the finish line but Mm -hmm. it it took every ounce and every waking i remember you were pulling 22 hour days oh it was yeah it was nonstop. it was two full-time jobs for about two years straight probably three three years straight um but we did it we did it. We got, yes, we got into Tribeca, which is, uh, you know, one of the top tier film festivals in the country. We're very proud. And and I think, too, it was cool to be like, you know, we decided, yeah, this is this feels right for us as, yeah. as far as our world premiere. Because that's something which we realized you have to be very strategic. 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 <laughs> strategery. Yeah. Um, You have to be very strategic about where you premiere. And so premiering in New York, which is where Lara went to school and where we had gone through this programs and had done, you know, it just felt like a homecoming in a way. And it was an amazing, amazing experience. And, and then, um, went on to actually find and secure, which, so getting into a top tier festival was just huge, huge in itself. And then, we were very lucky to also find amazing partners in our distributor. We got uh, Oscilloscope Laboratories is mm-hmm. our U.S. theatrical distributor. Which is huge. And and Canada. So yeah. North, all of North America. And yeah, so we came out in virtual cinemas. Yeah, because of COVID. Because of COVID. We were going to be in physical theaters, but we we were able to adapt quickly and, and oscilloscope was again, amazing. And that they, they asked us, they're like, what do you want to do? Do you want to try and wait till theaters open again? But we didn't know when that would happen or if people would want to actually go. I mean, by nature, you guys aren't the people to sit back and just go, let's see what happens. You're both like, let's do this and shape it ourselves. And Lara's not of the like, my, my film and my art can only be seen on the big screen. She's not of that ilk at all like she just she wants it to be out there she wants people to see it and we'd been lucky enough to have already had a year festival run with it so we were just we were ready to get it out and we wanted to give you know we wanted people to have something while they're stuck at home and oscilloscope was was able to do in a way that they partnered with independent theaters that were closed because of covid but they were able to do 
specific like links to each of those theaters. So half of the rental price, I think it was like the theaters got to choose the price, but like anywhere like 10 to $12, half of that went to the cinema, the independent theater that was already struggling even before COVID right. as a way to support them. And then, you know, the other That's half incredible. went back. So it, it, it was full circle and now it's out in the world and it, it's nice to see this thing that we've, it's like our film baby. You just right. gotta like let it go and have its life and- now, it's I just great. want to throw this into the mix because it's hugely important to your life. And mm-hmm. I hope you don't mind. You can give me the stank eye glare if I bring this up and you're like, why would you bring this up? Mm. But when all this greatness was happening, at the same time you were diagnosed with breast cancer. That is true. <laughs> and yet again, I have never seen anybody more fierce and more poised and more prepared and more focused mm. on art and the film and pushing through to this, you know, I mean, I just remember getting you prepped to go to New York for your screening and you're like putting head wraps on and wigs. Yeah. I was in the middle of chemo treatment with no hair. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, rock it girl. Yeah. And you did. Well, yeah. So a little back story to that. We found out we got into Tribeca like right at the end of December of 2018 and then about three weeks later, middle of January 2019, I found out that I had breast cancer and it was an aggressive kind and I needed to start chemo treatment Amazing. right away. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's funny to laugh. I can laugh about it now, but at the time, you know, the first thing that went through my mind was I have Tribeca. Like, mm-hmm. I can't miss this. Like, I can't have cancer. I, I have Tribeca. Yeah, I have been working my my whole life to get to this point. This has been, this is a huge career lifetime goal of mine that I'm finally getting to accomplish. And now you're saying I have cancer? Like, I just, there was nothing that was going to keep me from that world premiere. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> and I just, yeah, I was very determined and um, worked closely with my doctors to make sure that, you know, I wasn't going to be putting myself in any other danger. And we kind of scheduled it timing wise with my chemo treatments to, you know, try and have me at my strongest as as you, as strong as you can be during chemo. But, um, but also I had great support from friends, especially from you. You're a good, sweet, wonderful oh, person. And you deserve all the support in the world from all your friends. And I, I, I made it and, and Laura was, I mean, I already knew Laura was one of my best friends and just a, a true partner, but for her to see how, she, I'm totally going to start crying now thinking about it, (laughs) to see how she like, because this was like a lifetime goal of hers too. Like this is her first film as a writer and a director. And there was a moment where she looked at me, she was like, it doesn't matter. Like you are more important and you are going to be there and we're going to do it together. And it just, having that support from her was just everything and I mean that you can't put a price tag on a friendship like that yeah which is why I wanted to bring it up because it says it speaks a lot to you the friendship you have the creative bond you have Mm -hmm. the journey you have had Mm -hmm. and that even even when a massive monkey wrench that no one could foresee lands right in the middle of the plan 
Yeah. You both you both rose up and, and totally just adjusted. But she could have shifted. been, you know, she could have been like, oh, sorry, I'll just go. And yeah. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> or just like, you need to do this and do that. But no, she she came over and I mean, we would put things aside and she would just come over and help cook me food. You know, it was just she just was true friend absolutely through and through and and it's made this process even better and and in a way too it gave me this kind of beacon of light to keep focused on during such a dark totally. time in my life and and not no you know I didn't wasn't expecting to have to fight for my life at such an early age mm-hmm. and to have something like Clementine and something so positive to focus on I feel very lucky for because it did. It gave well, me a good and, distraction. And just as a bookend on that idea is like, isn't that what art is? You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. art is a saving grace for everybody in every kind of situation, yeah. in my opinion, anyway. Yeah. You know, and to have it be a direct focal point yeah. and pinnacle. Yeah. At the same time, you're going through the lowest point. Yeah. I physically, used... mentally, emotionally. Mm-hmm. It's funny. When we were shooting Clementine, I, I jokingly said, you know, this this movie is killing me. Yeah. And, and then you were like, oh wait, maybe cancer. <laughs> yeah. But then during my cancer treatment, it was, you know, this it was the thing that me. was saving me. Yeah. So it it was and then to go on to festivals and win awards right. and it just, yeah, it it was it's been and you've truly also, amazing. I mean, and I'll I'll address this later so you don't have to sit here and brag about yourself, but you've mm. also <laughs> achieved many an accolade and been invited and told you're in the top producing group of you know there's been lots of articles written about how great you are well thanks and you're aren't you going to a lab soon another one a production lab uh well i went to um no i'm not going to sundance this year but i went to the rotterdam producers lab right yeah that was pre-covid right right before yeah that was end of january beginning of february that was in Rotterdam, Netherlands, and it was amazing. That's incredible. I'm so proud of you. Thanks, sister. I want to end this uh, discussion, if you don't mind, with a couple of questions I like to ask everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, we obviously do this podcast to share individual stories and journeys and, you know, retell the brilliance of what the arts can do for people and how much it's not a there's no direct path on anything creative. Like Mm -hmm. everybody kind of, in my opinion, finds their path. So I I like to ask these questions because I think they're interesting to ponder. So I hope you don't mind. Um, Knowing what you know now with all the experiences that you've had and every twist and turn that has led you to where you are, what would you tell your younger self? I think what I wish I would have known younger is to just have more confidence in myself to actually just go for it. Like, I feel like I waited a little bit too long. I wish I would have been like the person you are now, but yeah. (laughs) And I think, you know, everyone's going to say that, but I think unfortunately too, as, as women, we're not given the same kind of like, Go get him, Tiger. You can yeah. you can do anything, you know. And I I sadly and think I, I was waiting for permission. Right. And I just needed to give myself that permission. And once I finally did, I mean, I've been able to do everything that I've wanted. 
And so, so that leads beautifully to my next question. Mm-hmm. What do you tell yourself now when you're, it's COVID, the industry's shut down. Mm. People aren't, may, I mean, it's slowly, hopefully coming back, but it doesn't, may or may not even look the same. Like, right. what do you tell yourself now in another era of triumph and tribulation? To just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I was on a, I spoke at a, on a panel at a, a film festival this year and one of the same similar questions and one of the other producers on the panel was like one of her favorite quotes from um finding nemo was just keep swimming Mm, and (laughs) no matter what obstacle is thrown in your way you just you have to keep pushing you have to keep going and that has always been the case for me even before covid you know obviously we're like we're just talking about with having to deal with cancer you know you just have to keep going and not giving up and I know it sounds so cliche because that's what everyone says don't give up but um I think one of the things that I also have to keep reminding myself is to not take things personally either I think in the arts especially we hear we hear the word no a lot Mm -hmm. and it is really easy to let that like affect you become the voice yes and affect you in a in a really personal way and what i've learned in these last few years and have to keep reminding myself because it is it is easy to be like oh no they said no they don't like me or they don't like my project or they don't like this but it's it just means that it wasn't right with that person at that time and and the right person and the right time will eventually show up. You and you just have to keep going and you have to keep pushing for it. And just don't take no personally. Don't let it defeat you because it's not about you. Right. You know, it's it. And that's something that I just like I, I never say no to a meeting. Like I love meeting people and I love going in for those quote unquote pitch meetings. Mm-hmm. But when they say, no, sorry, you know, we're not we're not going to give you money for this project, but I'm building this out relationship with them. And I know that I can go to them on the next one. And maybe then that will be a good timing for them. So just, I think that's the biggest thing is just don't take no's personally. Just keep going. And then my last and final question, by the way, thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. I love having you on this show. This is very fun. Um, It's fun to talk to you and realize that I've remembered half our friendship wrong. Um, Um, how has the word success, the definition of success, Mm. has it changed for you through this journey? Have you, have, did you start out with one idea and, and do you look at your body of work and your experiences and your journey and now feel differently about it? Or are you still reaching for some pinnacle pie in the sky or is it both? What does success mean to you? Success to me means or I know I'm being successful when I'm happy, when I'm like just really living in my joy. Like true bliss. And having, like, yes. Yeah. Like for me, I think when I was younger, success looked like certain achievements, like hitting these certain milestones. And as I've gotten older, when, you know, some of those milestones like especially we do a lot with age right you know we're like oh by this age i have to be right. here and by we this- all kind of innately do ageism right just because we set ideas on a number and i really wish society would get away from that because i think what it does is it it 
again, it just, it doesn't foster these feelings of encouragement and, um, and getting people to feel like they can achieve things. Because if you are going for something and you don't quite reach that goal by this certain age or this certain, you know, marker that you've set for yourself, then you see yourself as a failure or you're worried that other people are going to see you as a failure. It diminishes the success you do have. Yeah. And I just, I think that's, I think this world, we would just be so much happier and more content if we didn't put so much of those constraints on ourselves and, and knowing that it's going to continue to change. And, and I think especially going through my cancer journey last year that I really had to learn that because, you know, even I'm I'm still single. I I would like to get married maybe or have a, a life partner, but I was like, I have cancer I'm, and I'm going to die while I'm single. Like, no, <laughs> I still have so much life to live. <laughs> and so I think that was like a big wake up. Like, I need to just get rid of those things and just really focus on right now and what is making me happy right now. And that's when I'm being successful. I love it. Well, I think you're very successful. Thank you. You too, In every sister. facet. And I love you beyond words. And, I love you. Um, the only reason you're here, honestly, is because this is who you are in my life. You're like, yeah, I'm doing a road trip. I'll be there Friday. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, sweet. I'll get the studio ready and we'll just dish it all. And congratulations um, to you on this podcast. Just it's exciting, it right? Happen. It's fun. It's yes. fun to talk this stuff through. I think, And I think the more you talk to people and put this kind of consciousness out there and the more people that hear words from professionals like yourself mm-hmm. who have taken a really varied journey to an ongoing destination. Mm-hmm. I think the more hope and inspiration there is for up and comers of the next generation and people mm-hmm. who always thought, oh, I, I would have liked to have tried that. Yeah. And they hear somebody saying, you still have time. You yeah. Know? And talk, just talk to people, like go find those mentors, find those people mm-hmm. who can help give you uh, a hand up or do an email intro for you or like just ask them out for coffee and just say like, I'd love to just know more about your world. Like how, yes, so much of this, especially in the arts, if that's what we're talking about, like it's all about your relationships and you just have to start building those. And I mean, I would not, like we were talking about at the very beginning with Gary, like I would not be here if it weren't for him and then several other mentors that I've had along the way. And now it's my time where I want to give back and help people in that way too. And, and it's just, I think it just makes it more fun when you're doing it with, Amen, girl. Aim, you know, like-minded people and just, and even not like-minded people, but it's just, it's like, you know, finding connection to things that are like and different. And I'm in like-minded and meaning that you're building a community. Yes. You know, it's not just, you know, you out for yourself and, you know, the, the more we do this and know that it takes a team a effort. Yes, it <laughs> is. And it's just so much more fun that way. I agree. Well, to be continued is what I say. Yes. More to, to be come. Continued. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having um, me. Where can people find and watch Clementine? So Clementine right now is available through uh, virtual cinemas, uh, through our, our website, which is a oscilloscope. Dot, or clementine.oscilloscope.net. And forgive me for sounding like a complete buffoon, but would you spell oscilloscope? Because I would imagine if someone hears that name, that's not a guaranteed like, oh. For sure. O-S-C-I-L. How do you say <laughs> Well, now you're going to put me on the spot. 
I can type it, but um, well, can we put a link in the the show yes, notes? Yes, I'll put it in our in our bumpers afterward. Um, and then also, depending on when the episode comes out, we're going to be going to VOD sometime in July. So when is what's VOD? Video on demand. Oh, okay. So <laughs> VOD, so iTunes, amazing, Amazon, yeah. um, all of the the normal places you go to rent on. Films. Um, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be there available for rent as well. I love it. Well, we will send all of our listeners to go find your beautiful film, Thank which you. I have seen many times and it is beautiful. Clementine and with Sydney Sweeney and Omar Marrero. Mm-hmm. Sydney Sweeney from Euphoria. Some people know yeah. and love that show from HBO. The acting was phenomenal in the film. So great. it's definitely worth watching. And the music, phenomenal. Yeah. Katie, Katie Jarzapowski, our amazing composer. So good. Yeah. And Please she's amazing. Like as a person, she's just so much fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I loved having you on today. I'm sure we'll have you back sooner than you want to be here. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love you dearly. And, uh, you know, till see, soon. See you on the next one. Okay. Bye, everybody. Alright everybody, today's episode is brought to you by The Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time. And let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all-organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us? Or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. Get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming. Your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.